Well, I've got good news for everybody this morning. 2020 is now officially over halfway over. <laughs> and you, you kind of wonder, you know, someday down the road, when we look back, you know, what are the history books going to say about 2020? And actually, I, I kind of hope Jesus comes back to get us before we have a chance to find out. Um, but, you know, I think there's going to be some things that we all look back and scratch our heads about. And maybe some of those things will be controversial, and I'm sure people will continue to, to disagree. But I think there's one thing that we can all agree on, that someday we will look back at 2020 and say, what was up with that? Talking about toilet paper. <laughs> right? Before, before everything gets serious, what is the first, what is the main item that everybody is rushing to Costco to stock up on? And it's toilet paper. And I don't know about you, but I still haven't been able to figure that out. I mean, some other things people were stocking up on, I mean, I get it. I get stocking up on the hand sanitizer, food, even ammo, right? I, I, get, I get why people are doing all those things. Toilet paper. Well, I mean, this disease doesn't seem to primarily affect your digestive system. And even, you, you know, you start sitting down and you do the math, like those Costco packs should last you a pretty long time, right? And you start to, man, see these people with all these packs and you're like, you're doing some simple math, and you start to have some questions about these people, right? And how, I mean, how much toilet paper do they really need, right? And, and we will look back on that someday and say, man, th there were things maybe worth focusing on, things worth being concerned about, but yikes, that was probably not the wisest first choice that our society made. Well, more important than all this, there's a history that's coming that we're going to look back on. Every single person in this room, someday we will, we will meet Jesus Christ and we will stand before him. And then we will look back at this life with perfect clarity. And I think people stocking up on toilet paper is actually a, a sad parable of what a lot of people are going to feel like on that day when they stand before Christ. They're going to look back at their life and they're going to say, wow, I wasted so many things. And, and I focused so many on things that now don't mean anything. And I want us to look ahead to that day this morning and, and examine our lives and consider, are we focused on the things that will truly matter for eternity? Because that's what happens as we get to John 6 again today. So take your Bibles and open them up to John chapter 6. And we're going to pick it up today in verse 22 and, and get to verse 35. And, and so two weeks ago when we met and we looked at John 6 we saw the miracle. Jesus feeds 5,000 men, so over 5,000 people with just five cheap loaves of bread and two small fish. And we see it, so all the crowd respond to that by wanting to make Jesus king by force. And Jesus gets out of that situation. And then we saw him walk on the water and, and, and save really the disciples there. But now we get, as we did in John chapter 5, there was the miracle. Now we're going to get to Jesus talking about the significance of the miracle. And last time, basically, it was a long speech by Jesus on the significance of the miracle. This time, it's, it's something of a verbal ping pong match that we're about to witness. A back and forth between the crowd and Jesus. Where, where, where they say something and he responds and back and forth, back and forth. And we're going to look at four of those back and forths this morning, culminating in verse 35. And Jesus is going to try to explain to the crowd, you have the wrong goals, you have the wrong method, and you have the wrong 
focus. And we want to break these down one at a time. So let's just start by picking it up in verse 22 and looking at the first uh, back and forth between Jesus and the crowd. Verses 22 through 24 kind of set the scene for us on the next day. So yesterday, Jesus, he fed the, the multitudes. And then at night, unbeknownst to the crowd, he walked on the water, caught up with the disciples. But now it's the next day. And the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, where he fed the 5,000, saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias, which would have been on the other side of the lake, came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And so basically what these three verses describe is a, a massive manhunt. People are trying to find Jesus after yesterday. And they're scratching their heads saying, uh, he didn't get in the boat with the disciples, but he's not here. Where is he? And we even get the idea that word is spread and there's boats coming from the other side of the lake. Everybody is looking for Jesus so they go to Capernaum, which had basically become Jesus' new home, his new base of operations, a small fishing village that you can visit today right there on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they're looking for Jesus. And in verse 25, they find him. And now we see the first back and forth. They found him on the other side of the sea. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And don't, I think we all wish, because they're perplexed. They're like, you didn't get in the boat, you know, when, how did you get here? Don't you just wish Jesus had kind of said, oh, I walked here last night, right? So they could, you know, just to stun them even more. But that's not what he says. He actually, he rebukes them. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has sent his seal. He rebukes them and says, you guys, you've got the wrong goals. You're here seeking something very temporary, more food to fill your bellies. When I'm trying to give you something way better, way more important, something that will last for eternity. Point number one this morning, let's write it down this way as we see this first interaction. Prioritize what will last forever. Prioritize what will last forever. Jesus says to them in verse 26, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And John likes this word, signs. And he uses the word signs more than we see the word miracles. Because it reminds us the miracles that Jesus did, they had a point. They weren't just to show off. I mean, we see Jesus often driven by compassion to meet needs. But even meeting needs wasn't the primary goal of these signs. They were meant to be a sign to who Jesus was. They were meant to point to him as the Messiah that he was claiming to be. That's what we saw in chapter 5. Jesus is claiming equality with God. He is claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah. And he's saying, the signs I'm doing 
are meant to back that up and prove to you that I am telling the truth. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. You're missing the signs. You are focused on your bellies and and filling up on food. You're seeking me has nothing to do with who I am. It has to do with satisfying your temporal needs. And then in verse 27, he says words now that have that ring out across the ages, words that were a warning to the people that he was speaking to, and words that should be a warning to you right here this morning in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He's saying don't work for the food that perishes. And I don't think... When you look at it in context, I don't think he's saying, hey, everybody, quit your jobs and stop trying to, you know, feed your family. Not what he's saying. Clearly, in the context here, he's talking about what what is your goal? What are you really going for? Are you working primarily for stuff that's going to fade away? Or are you focused more on things that will last forever and ultimately on eternal life itself, which can only be found in Christ? He's not saying, hey, forget about your physical needs. He's saying, no, that that shouldn't be our goal. He's saying that the things of this world, they're going to perish. The food that you eat is going to perish. And even looking at this again this morning, I couldn't help but think about fireworks. We we already talked about Idaho knows how to 4th of July. I mean, it's incredible. All the cities canceled their fireworks shows, and I don't think you wouldn't have known that. I don't think you would have been able to figure that out. I was, you know, took my daughter even up to the top of our roof last night, very carefully, of course, right? Don't send any emails. But we, we get up there, and, you just look, and it's just like 360-degree Disneyland, right? It's, you're just surrounded by fireworks. I have a three-year-old son named Mac, and 4th of July is now officially his favorite holiday. I mean, starting last year. And, and it's just, you know, he's sitting there in, in our, one of the second-story windows just looking out, just, you know, in awe for a couple hours, just just seeing it all, and it, no, no diminishment in his excitement. Every new firework, oh, look at the firework, right? Just so excited. But then they wake up this morning, right? And they were up a little late, so they're, they're tired, they're, they're cranky, and, and they're wanting more, right? They want more fireworks. So even, you know, as we're getting ready, it's like, well, hey, let's, let's you know, throw on a YouTube video of, fireworks, and their response shows, hey, mom and dad, this is a pretty cheap replacement for the wonder that we experienced last night. And fireworks, I mean, how much money was spent on fireworks yesterday, and it's all, it's all gone, right? Now, I'm not saying, I'm, not, I'm definitely not anti-fireworks. I think it's good, but if that, like my kids, that's what you're seeking for, that's your main goal, well, they're this morning tired, cranky, and looking for more. And how many people living life in this world, that's actually a pretty good summary of them. They're tired and cranky and looking for more of whatever it is that the bread that they are seeking that's just going to perish. Those things shouldn't be the focus of our lives. If you want to know, well, how can I know if that's the, the, fo- the focus, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I think Jesus in another sermon is going to give us insight that'll help us even to diagnose where our focus is. Because again, he's not saying, hey, forget about your practical needs, forget about feeding your family. 
But what is he? What is he saying? In Matthew chapter 6, he says a couple different things that I think will be helpful, starting in verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, he comes back to what is your focus? What are you really working for? And what are you laying up? Treasures on earth or treasures in heaven? And it even gets down to the very practical question of where is your money and what is the focus on it? Is it all just focused on right here, right now, and what you want? Or are you laying up treasures in heaven? Verse 21 very clearly says, our heart will follow our money. You you invest in a a certain company. Is your heart going to be drawn more to that company to check in? How are they doing? What's the stock? How's the report? How is COVID affecting this thing? Aren't you going to be drawn more to that? Absolutely. And one thing we've been reminded of even this year is that, you know, moth and rust destroy. Stock markets go up and they go down. Jobs seem solid until they're not. So much of what the world has to offer can fade away. And I think in the rest of Scripture, we see, well, how do you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? By not being greedy, but by being generous. Generous to those around you. Investing in things with an eternal mission, whether that's your local church or or missions or other things that are going to get people's attention on the word and on the gospel and what will matter for eternity. But Jesus gives us another thing I think we can use to diagnose, hey, what am I focused on? Am I focused on the here and now or am I focused on eternity? In verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What is it that you worry about? And even some of the interacts with people and and problems and does counseling so many times, what's the cause of the worry? Money. Marriage counseling so many times, what is the conflict revolving around? Money. And even for us, let's be honest, how much of your anxiety about financial things is even about what Jesus is talking about here, about food and clothing? How many of you are genuinely worried, I don't know how I'm going to feed myself tomorrow, and I don't know what I am going to wear? How much of our anxiety revolves around what we've become to refer to jokingly as first world problems, right? What do you work for? What do you worry about? And if we find ourselves working for, well, I could be more comfortable if I did this or this, or, you know, if I, if I just spent a little more on this, or, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this, we're going to find ourselves tired and cranky and looking for more. And, and even think about this valley, right, where so many people are moving to, and I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. In fact, I work for a nonprofit, but... I think there's going to be even more people 
trying to move here, and people moving here seeking a better life. Now, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But if your life is all about, well, hey, I can have a bigger house and I can have more toys and more time to, to use them, all of that, it perishes. All of that is going to fade away. All the homes that are being built right now today in the Treasure Valley, what are they going to look like in 100 years? I don't, they're probably going to be on several renovations from now. If they're still around, who knows what they're going to look like? But what about the souls of the people in the Treasure Valley? What, what are they going to look like in 100 years? Where are those people going to be in 100 years? And so again, it's tricky because it's not, you know, well, hey, forget about your practical needs. Don't buy a house. Don't try to feed your kids. No, the question is, what's, what is your goal? And even think about this week. Could people tell that there is something eternal about what you are trying to do? Would they sense that you're not just fixated on the things of, of this life, but, and I want to invest in people, and I want to invest in souls, and I want to handle my money in a way that, hey, I, it's all God's anyways, and I can't take any of it with me. Are you working for the food that perishes or for the food that endures to eternal life? And as you get back to John chapter 6, we see, and this is a preview, we'll get to a little later, it'll come more into focus. We're focusing on the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. It's something that has to be given from Jesus, for on Him, God the Father has set His seal. The focus is not just on what, but it's on who, and we're going to see that more as we get deeper into this passage. Now let's look at the, the, the second back and forth here. But even notice at the end, this food that endures to eternal life, he says, which the Son of Man will give to you. So he's already highlighting, hey, th this food that endures to eternal life, it's not even something you can work for. It's something that ultimately will be given to you but they're not seeming to grasp that. Look at verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Well, they think, okay, okay, then cool. Jesus, just tell us what we got to do. And then Jesus says, well, this is what you got to do. you got to believe. And even throughout the Scriptures, throughout the New Testament, oftentimes we see works contrasted with faith. As is Jesus is trying to say, hey, the work that you have to do actually is something that's not really what you would think of as a work. It's, it's faith, it's belief in the one whom he has sent, which we know. And we see now clearly he's talking about himself and whatever title he's using that day, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He is talking about himself. So here he is showing them, hey, not only do you have the wrong goals, you have the wrong methods. Because you think you can do it. You think, oh, that eternal life, that's something I can go achieve by doing my thing. And he's saying, no, you've got to believe in the Savior. So point number two this morning, I want you to admit you can't work it out. Admit you can't work it out. You have to realize, hey, there is something that needs to be given to me. I can't just go out and be good enough or be better to get this eternal life that Jesus 
is talking about, that requires a lot of humility. To admit, I can't do it. This eternal life that Jesus is talking about is something that is beyond me and beyond my abilities. But unfortunately, you see this attitude that has a hard time accepting that a lot in the ministry of Jesus. People didn't mind a lot of Jesus' teaching, but when he started implying, hey, you are a sinner that needs a Savior, what was the general reaction to that? Not good, and ultimately they killed him. Right? The Pharisees, the religious leaders did not want to admit, I'm not good enough, the works I'm doing can't get me there. And so they, they put Jesus on a cross. There's a lot of that same attitude today. One of the biggest stumbling blocks to people putting their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior is admitting that they need a Lord and Savior. Too many people today think, I, I, I'm doing fine. I, I, I'm, I'm doing it. I, I'm a successful person. I, I'm taking care of my, my family. I'm doing the right things. I'm not like all these people that you see out there. The Bible makes it clear there's one path to eternal life, and it doesn't, and it never even has, involved our works. That's not how we get saved. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. And if you're going through our Bible reading program, Revival from the Bible with us, this will be familiar because you've read this within the last couple days. Galatians chapter 2. And Paul makes a point that resonates, and it's, it leads to that verse that we you know, sang the truth of before this message started this morning. Galatians chapter 2, and start in verse 15, where Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, right? He's saying, hey, we're Jews. We, we know the law. We know the word. We know what's going on. We're not like these pagan Gentiles over here yet. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Can it get more clear than that? Even though he's saying, yeah, I know we're Jews. We're not these, you know, totally pagan out there sinners like the Gentiles. But still, we, just like them, there's one way to be saved, and it's not by our works. It's through faith in Christ. And he even makes the point, it's never been by works, because even Abraham, he was saved by faith. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he makes that argument clear in Romans chapter 4 as well. And that's what leads ultimately to verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, now I'm not even trying to, you know, just pull myself up by my bootstraps and do better and try harder. I'm living by faith in the Son of God. And when we have that faith, it will lead to a lot of effort in living a holy life. But our focus is on the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the road that everybody needs to go through. And that's a road that a lot of, that's a, that's a pill that's too difficult for too many people to swallow. And probably some of you sitting right here in this room today. 
you're thinking, I go to church. I'm a good family person. I'm honest in my job. I'm a good person. But if you have never realized, no, I am a sinner and I need a Savior and I can't do the works required for eternal life, then you've never really understood the gospel. Because the good news is that we can be saved because of the perfect life that Jesus lived and the substitutionary death that He died for you and for me. And if you think you're good enough, you can believe me now or you can believe me later. Believe the words that Christ is saying right now as He's trying to show them, hey, the work that you need to do is believe in the One whom God has sent. The One on whom God has set His seal. Jesus Christ. You can't work it out. But again, the crowd, they don't get it, and they, they show even now they have the wrong focus. Let's pick it up in verse 30, and we'll, we'll see two of these back and forths together. It says, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now, do you read that and get a little offended on behalf of Jesus, right? Wait, wait, wait. Why are you here? Oh, yeah, because I fed fifteen to 20,000 of you yesterday miraculously. What work do I perform? Excuse me? But they go on, and they say, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's almost as if they are saying, yeah, you know, the feeding thing, we've seen that before. You know, hey, Moses, Moses did that in, in the wilderness. You've you got to do something better than that. Or, or even we, in the history of, of the Jewish people, there seems to have been a thought that when the Messiah would come, he would give them manna to eat again like Moses. But it, now Jesus, he tries to correct them. He says in verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. He's saying, guys, it wasn't Moses to begin with. It was my father. And the focus should not be on that bread that was on the ground. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. And then verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Hey, the bread is not a what. It's a who. It is this one who is going to come down and give life to the world. And then in verse 34, we see now see the next interaction. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And if you've been with us for a while in John, this has, you know, strong deja vu all over again vibes from the woman at the well, remember? When Jesus is offering her this living water so she'll never thirst again. And she's like, sign me up. Give me this water. They're still kind of stuck on the same plane. Hey, all right. Give us this bread. And they're still thinking of it as a what. And so then to remove all doubt from the situation, look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so what we want to do today is kind of, this was a tough passage for me to break down and I want to look everything leading up to that statement, which is kind of the, the climactic moment of this interaction between Jesus and the crowds. And next week, we'll pick it up right at this statement and see what follows, but see how it's leading up to this. 
He's trying to make a very clear point. You're focused on a what when you should be focused on a who. I am the bread of life. Put it down this way for point number three this morning. See Jesus not just as the provider, but as the provision. See Jesus not just as the provider, but as the provision. And he makes it clear he is both that he is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life. He's providing life to the world. But that life that he is providing is based on who he is. He is the provision. He is the bread of life. And whoever comes to him is not going to be hungry. And whoever believes in him shall never thirst. And clearly he's trying to make it, hey guys, I'm not talking about your bellies. I'm talking about your souls. I will satisfy your soul. And all of our focus should be bringing us back to a who. Not just a what. Even this whole revival from the Bible thing, this reading program that we do, the podcast and website that we launched this week, that whole book that we're looking at is, should be pointing us to a who, Jesus Christ. We talk about our mission a lot as a church, reaching, teaching, training, making disciples. It's all about a who. And even the Great Commission begins with Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's all about him. And even how that interacts with that last point of admitting I can't do it. I want you to show you what Paul thought. I want to go to two different passages that will help us understand it. First, go with me to another New Testament passage, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And then Paul started to realize both of these things we've talked about. He started to realize I can't work it out. And he started to realize it's about Jesus and who he is, and because of that, therefore, what he can offer me. me. If you look at Philippians chapter 3, pick it up in verse 4, where he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's saying, hey, if you think you're a good person who can work it out, I can one-up you. And then he lists off his spiritual resume, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, which just so happens to be my personal favorite tribe for, you know, you might be able to guess reasons, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Say, hey, if anybody thinks that they were good enough, it was me, but... Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. He's saying, hey, my whole spiritual resume, it's nothing compared to knowing Christ and the righteousness that comes from him. And then 
I think he even gets more expansive. He talks about the loss of all things, which Paul can say he did. He was not living for the temporary. He, he lived his life wandering around, depending on the generosity of others, trying to point people to Jesus Christ. And he say, hey, I'll count all of that as rubbish, which is, I mean, a word meaning trash, even, you know, referring to the bad things that come out of your bodies. It's a, it's a word even sometimes people say, I don't know that this was a word usually used in polite conversation. He's saying all of that I counted as, as junk, stuff that can be flushed down the toilet because now I know Christ. That's what we need to, to think. All the works that I, I, that I would lean on myself to think I'm good enough and all the things in this world that I can s- seek, it's all nothing compared to knowing Christ. Because this whole idea of I can, I can do it it will never leave me satisfied and I'll never be good enough. And all the things, oh, I can go out and, and rack up all this stuff. It, it's not just stuff. It'll ultimately be junk. It's ultimately going to perish. And Jesus is offering something better. And he's making it clear, I'm not offering you a one-time amazing meal. I'm offering you a never-ending feast. And we see that in the one other passage that I want you to look at. Now we've got to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 55. And even as Jesus is saying things like, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. It's hard for me to believe that, you know, observant Jewish people wouldn't have had this passage probably coming to their mind as Jesus says that. Isaiah chapter 55 and just the first two verses. It's an invitation from the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. It's this invitation saying, hey, here's a feast and it is free and come enjoy it and stop wasting your money on other things. What's the nicest meal you've ever had? Maybe even when I use the phrase rich food, right? Well, what, what pops into your mind? What's the rich food that you have enjoyed, right? For me, it's still easy. I think back to a place that my wife and I went on our honeymoon. We, we went to Maui we went to this place called Mama's Fish House, which if you're ever in Maui, make sure you go. And we were, you know, we were in honeymoon mode, and somebody had given us a big gift certificate because they knew where we were going, saying, hey, you got to go to this place. So we were in kind of like, hey, live large mode in that moment. Lobster guacamole? Yes, please. We'll try that. <laughs> What's the special today? I'll have two. Thank you. Right? That's the mode that we were living in. And it was an amazing, amazing meal. But even then, guess what? I, was, I got hungry again the next morning. And trying to live that life, that, that would bankrupt me. Right? I, I, I can't do that. Spending my money for all of that. But let's just, for the sake of illustration, think about the Treasure Valley. You know, there's all these intersections right now that are just kind of farmhouse, nothing, farmhouse, nothing, where, you know, give it five years and there's going to be restaurants, gas station. You, you know these intersections I'm talking about, right? I live like half a mile away from one of those 
intersections. And let's just say, for the sake of illustration, Mama's Fish House decides they're going to put their second location in the world right there at that street corner, half a mile from my house. They're going to fly in all the fish so it's still fresh, right? They're going to do all of that. And they say, hey, we remember you. We remember how much you enjoyed it. We appreciate you mentioning it in, our, our ser- in your sermons from time to time. So we want to give you a, a lifetime membership. You can stop by anytime you like, seven days a week, and it's all on the house. I mean, you can just call ahead your order. We'll have it ready for you. I mean, I can dream, can't I, right? So let's say that happens. And let's say then on the other corner of that intersection, they put in a McDonald's. That, you know, you still got to go pay them money for that, you know, food, um, right? How tempting is that McDonald's going to be to me when I've got free mama's fish house across the street? I mean, you could have Ronald McDonald himself out there, right, offering, hey, you want some McNuggets? And I'm going to be like, why would I spend my money on that when I can go across the street and have rich food without money and without price? That's the picture of what Jesus Christ is offering to us. And if you're here this morning and you're seeking the things of the world and that is your focus, it's like you're, you're digging through your pockets trying to get, you know, a, a, a McChicken on the value meal when you can walk across the street and God's wanting to offer you a feast for free. And, and that's the temptation, if you are a believer, that you are going to face this week. The world is going to be throwing things at you saying, hey, try this, try this. And God's saying, no, stay at the feast that I am offering you. And again, it's not just what he provides, it's based on who he is Jesus, he can provide eternal life because he's the one who has eternal life. As as we saw in the beginning of John, in him was life. He's self-existent. He can provide the forgiveness of sins because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He can provide security to his people because he is the one who now is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the one who will reign on this earth. Do you understand who Jesus is? Do you understand what he is offering you? He's the one that's worthy of your faith. And then, for those of you that have put your faith in Christ this week, he's the one that's worthy of your focus. Not the temporal things of this world that it's going to try to suck your attention into every week. So as we think about Jesus being the bread of life, and we want to get back now to the, the, this time that we spend hopefully on the first Sunday of every month, starting our month by celebrating the Lord's table together. And if you read commentaries about John chapter 6, like I obviously spent a lot of time doing this week, there's a lot of discussion about the Lord's table as you, you read about John chapter 6. Because, you know, it's talking about the bread of life and hungering and thirsting and People are saying, well, is what John really talking about here, is he really talking about the Lord's table? And there's a lot of discussion about that. And I think the answer is no. I don't don't think he's thinking of everything here and, and trying to get us to think about the Lord's table. I think one commentator put it best when he said, this chapter isn't about the Lord's table. The Lord's table is about this chapter. That when we take, and hopefully you got it on, on the way in, uh, you know, we've got prepackaged, very sanitary uh, communion elements today. But as you start getting that ready, and we'll take of it all together here in, in a few minutes, 
what we do is meant to remind us of what Jesus is talking about right here. That the little you know, bread that you're going to take and that, the cup that you're going to drink, that is meant to be a tangible reminder to you that Jesus is the bread of life. And that his body was broken for you. And whoever comes to him is never going to hunger. Whoever believes in him is never going to thirst. So Stephen's going to play for us now. And I want you to consider. And I want you to pray right now. Have you ever truly put your faith in Christ? If not, now is the time to do it. And if you know the answer is no and, and you're not saved, uh, don't partake of this. This is something for people that have put their faith in Christ. I want you also to examine your own life. Or what, are the, what are the things that are going to come and try to pull you away from this feast this week? And let this be a reminder to you. And if you weren't able to get the, the communion on the way, and you can just head over to the corner there while Stephen plays, and, and the ushers will give you some. But I encourage you to take these moments, pray, and then I'll come back up, and we will all pray and partake together. said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. As we think about it, if you still don't have one, Greg's right there in the back. Go ahead and raise your hand and, and get one now. But that's what we want to think of. What Jesus, who he is, what he has done, and that because of his body and his blood, we have eternal life and so much more through Him. Let's do this now in remembrance of Him. Let's all pray together. God, we thank You for who Jesus is. God, that He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the one on whom the Father has set His seal. God, he is the only one that's worthy of our trust. He is the only one that can satisfy. God, I pray that you would open up more and more people's eyes to see that, God, that people would see that what the world has to offer is, is so fleeting, God. I pray that you'd help all of us, Lord, even just to be built up by this tangible reminder of who Christ is this week, God, and that we wouldn't be distracted by the things of this world and let them steal our thoughts and our focus away from Christ that we wouldn't think that sin can satisfy, that we wouldn't think that material things can satisfy, but that we would be focused on Him, our, our rock and our Redeemer, our Lord and our Savior. God, so we come to You now and we thank You for what Christ has done and we want to sing again of the great things that You have done. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.